0: We don't always understand the particulars of the Scriptures, and so we ask for the illumination of the Holy Spirit to help us understand this portion of the Scriptures this morning, but not just to understand them, but to believe that which they say, that we would be entrusting ourselves more fully to Jesus, that in the knowledge of our union we would be growing And our experience of grace. And so use this means to that end. To the praise of your glorious grace in Jesus Christ. Amen. So there we were. We had just left Chase Field. We had gone to see a good D-backs game. Well, I don't think they won, so it wasn't a good D-backs game. But it was a good game anyway. Anyway. And, uh, you know, so there we are, we're in the car, I'm crammed in the back, and we've got some 80s music going, and it's quite enjoyable, kind of reliving my youth, so to speak. Then all of a sudden, I hear some familiar strains of a keyboard, and someone jacks up the volume, because someone, by the name of Karen Boyer, (laughs) apparently loves the song Glory Days by Bruce Springsteen. (laughs) That's an odd song in some ways because it, it's sort of, that wistful is not the word. I'm not sure what the exact word is to describe that song because it's about people looking back on the past and their moments of glory as they understood them, in part because their experience in the present, as the song reflects, is far less than glorious He speaks of bumping into the speedball pitcher who would make you look like a fool as he throws that fastball right by you. He talks about the cheerleader who could turn the young boy's eye who now is a single mom with kids. The days of glory's past. Significance, popularity, gone, and all you're left with is telling boring stories of Glory Days. Hmm. Fits on that album, though, because there's all sorts of that f- idea of something better should be happening. Something better should be experienced in that album. Um, glory Days. I thought it appropriate precisely because Jesus had, was longing for his glory the glory that the father's about to give him upon the cross as well as for the glory uh that he experienced from the foundation before the foundation of the world to be given back to him after his ascension and so jesus is talking about glory days not just for himself however but also for amazingly his people that they would have days of glory So the big idea this morning is that Jesus shares his earthly and eternal glory with his disciples. And so let's start with the notion that Jesus shares his earthly glory with all who believe in him. Indeed, Jesus shares his earthly glory with all who believe in him. Jesus is anticipating the spread of the good news through this band of disciples, we see this uh, taking place when he says, because up to now he's been praying just for the disciples, the guys in front of him. He says, also for those who believe in me through their word. And so Jesus is now expanding his prayer to include those who are going to believe in Christ, but they're going to believe in Christ through the testimony Of the apostles. This is good news. They received the word from Jesus, which we'll see at the very end, but we've seen all through this gospel, including all through this prayer, they have this word because it has been given to them by Jesus, who received it first of all from the Father. And so the word of the Father has been given to them, but it's interesting that he says, their word. They own it now. It's part of their possession. It's not just that it's the Father's word, and but they have a personal stake in this word that they are preaching to people. It is their word. And so we see, and we should be reminded, that in order for people to believe in Jesus as the Savior and their Savior, the word must continue to be Proclaimed. We see that formulation that Paul gives in Romans 10. How are they to be saved unless they believe? How are they to believe unless they hear? How are they to hear unless someone goes? And how is someone to go unless they are sent? And Jesus is talking about these disciples as being sent, as we already saw. He had Just as he was sent into the world, now Jesus sends his disciples into the world, and they're to bring his message, his word, to the world that many might be saved. But he continues in revealing a great gospel blessing, for he says, The glory you have given me, I have given to them. Which leads us to the obvious question of, What glory is this? Jesus has been praying for the Father to glorify Him on earth. And how did He pray for that to happen? What was the means for the Father to glorify the Son on earth? And we see that it is the cross. It is Him being lifted up upon the cross that He might draw men to Himself. That is His glory. I'm reminded of Moses as I think of this, where Moses, you know, after the whole, he hears about what happens with the golden calves down, you know, down at the bottom of the mountain, and he's up on top of the mountain, and he says to God, show me your glory. And God says, well, you can't see my face, but here's what he's going to do. You go hide in the cleft of that rock, I'm going to pass before you and I'm going to declare my name. And so his glory is his name. And God passes before Moses. He declares his name. And amongst that, he mentions that he is gracious, forgiving sin to those who fear him. And so we see that come to its fruition, to its head in Jesus who is the means by which God is gracious and forgiving sin for multiple generations to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so the glory of Jesus is that he reveals more fully than ever before the name of God as gracious Redeemer in the cross. And so, We see that in Exodus 33. We also see this idea in 2 Corinthians 3, particularly verse 18, when he talks about all disciples, all Christians. He mentions, "...we will all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit." And so, Jesus gives us this glory as we behold Him, and we're transformed, as Paul says, from glory to glory as we behold His glory. Again, he's alluding back to Moses. What happened to Moses after he was in the presence of God? His face glowed. Something of the glory had come off and was embedded in him and slowly faded, and that's why Moses wore the veil, because of the fading glory. And Paul borrows that idea to say that ours is not going to be a fading glory. Ours is going to be an increasing glory, because we continue to look upon God in Jesus. And we're increasingly transformed to a vaster greater glory and this glory that he gives us is the glory of cross-shaped living cruciform living where we like jesus begin to deny ourselves out of a love for god the glory that he gained in the cross as savior is the, is similar to the glory we're about to receive as we live sacrificial lives Matthew 16, for instance, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And all three of the gospel writers, besides John, mention this. Mark 6, sorry, Mark 8, 34, Luke 9, 23, all have this saying. Christian living is marked by identifiable by denying oneself, picking up a cross, and following after Jesus. It's so much so that William Barclay notes that we must never think of our cross as our penalty, because Jesus bore it already for us on his cross. We must think of it as our glory. So when it is hard to be a Christian... We must regard it as our glory, as our honor given to us by God. We tend to think of our afflictions and hardships and the call to sacrifice even as a burden and a hardship, but they're meant to be our glory. It is precisely because we are united to Jesus in his death and his resurrection that we are able to die to self, and live to God. That's just Romans 6 in a nutshell, right there. In other words, our lives are not to be about ourselves, even though because of sin we are preoccupied with self. Why would Jesus share this glory with his people? He continues, that they, the world, oh, sorry, not they, those who believe, may be one even as we are one. And so this is a means to an end that his people would experience union and unity in a way that reflects the Godhead's union and unity. We are united to Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, and therefore we are united also to one another. And so that's union. We're also then to, to grow in our experience of unity because of our union. The one has to do, so to speak, with our position we can't change the fact that we're united to Christ, okay? But what can fluctuate is our experience of unity, which is why he goes on to say that they might be perfected or matured in that unity, okay? We are united to Christ, therefore each other, and that means that through this sacrificial love we're intended to grow in unity. Think of it this way, brothers and sisters marriage. When Amy and I made our vows and did all, whole, all that stuff, we were united, one flesh. God had made us one. But were we united? I mean, sorry, uh, in unity? not in all things. (laughs) That was a process. You know, for the objective union to take shape in subjective unity being on the same page not just about the fact that we both love Jesus but also the particulars of how our home was going to operate how we were going to love one another and the children that God would give us and his church and everything else that God would be, great, be giving us greater unity as we matured instead of less unity as we matured and so Christian unity requires this cruciform living. It requires self-sacrifice for the benefit of others. Because if we're all seeking our own way, the church becomes a very chaotic place, a very destructive place. But if we're living self-denial... That kind of life, if we're picking up our cross and following Jesus, our our experience of unity should increase over time. What does that look like? There's some things it looks like. I say these because I don't think we struggle with these, so we shouldn't feel too beset upon. But people would not just revel in their worship, style slash music slash instruments. They would not be demanding that it be done the way that they want it to be done. For the songs that they want to hear in the ways they want to hear them, but they're willing that others can can sing songs that they love in the way they like to hear them. People who say, even though I don't want to study that book of the Bible, I'm still going to show up because I think that's important for everybody else. And God might still speak to me through that book of the Bible, even though I might have studied it five times in the last ten years. It's not about you. It's about us. And you are part of us. Or perhaps plans. Outreach plans or uh, VBS plans for some special event. The need, not having the need to get your own way and how it takes place. But laying aside your preferences as need be for the good of others. That's what, in participating, not saying, I'm going to take my cookies and go home. But saying, I'm still here. The vote is not my way, but I'm still here. I'm still part of the body. I'm still part of a part of the the functioning part of the body. I'm not just hanging out on the fringe. I'm engaged and involved because God is at work in his body. That's part of what it looks like, I think. Some of the ways in which we could see it. And so Jesus shares his earthly glory of cruciform living to produce unity among his disciples, which would be us. Secondly, that his earthly glory is given so that more may know that he is God. Now, that's a slight difference from what you might have in your notes. But his earthly glory is given so that more may know that he is God. The glory given to us in uh, cruciform living is the service of unity. But wait... There's more. Jesus continues, This is given so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And so unity enhances our witness. Remember, unity is built on sacrificial love. So sacrificial love, producing unity, which continues to produce effective witness about Christ. This means that the word preached is intended to be adorned by visible expressions of faith, meaning love and unity. We don't preach a naked word. We preach an adorned word. We see this, for instance, in Titus chapter 2, speaking to bond servants They are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. And here's the key. So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. A lifestyle adorning the message, complementing, authenticating, strengthening the message that this is a reliable message because this is what it produces. A person who's not consumed with self, a group that is concerned with unity as a powerful message to the world. Jesus, in a parallel statement right here, says not only so that the world may believe that you sent me, but that the world may know that you have sent me. Struggled with that this morning. What is Jesus getting at here? Because I was listening on the way in to um, Equipped to Engage, and I heard something, and my brain just went <laughs> down the rabbit hole. Okay, in a good way. Because I was reminded of something. Okay, because I'm hearing this initially and thinking that the world may know. Ah, the world believing, right? And that the world, there is this group that Jesus has been given out of the world by the Father, but there's also the world. And in Exodus, we see that God says that he's going to do these great things so the Egyptians and Pharaoh will know that I am the Lord. Now, does that mean that Pharaoh is going to come to knowledge of, saving knowledge of God? We see the same thing taking place in the prophets, that these acts of judgment come so that this group of people will know that he is the Lord, that he is God. And so, I suspect that, particularly based on how. John speaks of the world in his gospel, that this is meant to be a witness to the world. Even though they don't believe, they will know that Jesus has been sent by the Father because of how those who love Him live. doesn't mean they embrace it, but they know it's true. They just hate it. They struggle with it. And so we kind of see this pattern that plays out here. We're united with Christ, therefore his love for us overflows through in sacrificial love for one another, which means that there's increasing unity, which means that there's increasingly effective witness that Jesus has been sent by the Father. That's what I see kind of going on here. And this should be a glorious thing to us. And so our unity and our love testify to the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. They authenticate the message that we preach. Why does it need to be authenticated? I think precisely to show the contrast between us and worldly people. Because worldly people, people apart from Jesus, are lost in themselves, meaning they love themselves, first and foremost, and they continually undermine any attempt at unity. I mean, what do we see in our country now? As there's a decrease in the gospel, we see increasing fragmentation amongst our population. We have so many special interests, it's not funny. Whether it's skin color, whether it's orientation, whether it's economic status or class, it's increasingly fragmented. It shouldn't surprise us. Think Tower of Babel. (laughs) After God confused the languages, they all split apart. God scattered them. That's what's behind, not climate change. This is what is behind what happened in Paris. The worldly love of self, the lack of unity, that says, you have to do everything my way. You have to worship God my way. That's what drives what we saw in Lebanon and what we saw in Paris and what we saw in 9-11, that everyone else has to live the way I think they have to live. Instead of letting God be God and seeking mercy because we know we fail God every day. Where was I? Jesus will bring those who have been given to him by the Father out of the world and into faith in him. That is his responsibility. Our responsibility is to trust him and to follow the ordained means, meaning that witness is not just word, it's also life. Witness is not just life, It's also a word, that these two are meant to go together hand in hand, that people would know the reason for our unity, and they would also know that Christ produces unity, that the gospel is a good thing, even though they might not like it. And so we are to follow the ordained means. And so the the great blessings of the gospel are not to be hidden away, but they're meant to be lived in front of people. They might see what the gospel produces. And so Jesus shares his earthly glory with us in order to authenticate the word that we preach. Third, last, that Jesus will eventually share his eternal glory with his disciples. See, Jesus isn't focused only on the present. He says he longs for them, he desires for them to be with me where I am. And I think he's forward-looking to his ascension here. He wants them to be with him in the presence of the Father. and This should remind us that the Scriptures have always held out the hope of eternal life with God what 's interesting to me is that right now i read from you a couple weeks ago calvin 's uh, institute's the fifteen forty one version the essentials version okay and what I read this week is this he he goes through the similarities and disparities between old and new covenant and it's it 's actually a fairly lengthy section, and he had to okay, um, communicate to probably the Anabaptists, uh, don't, don't confuse them with Baptists, okay, the Anabaptists were different, but communicate to them that, and the heretics or Vitus, that even in the Old Testament, the hope was always eternal life. It was not about Israel. It wasn't about a chunk of land that was meant to point them to something greater, and we see that even as Psalm 133 that we read, that Psalm about unity. What does it have? The blessing of eternal life. That was always the goal for God's people. Not just the goal for God for his people, but that which he expressed to his people and, and wanted them to reflect was that passion for eternal life. And so we see that here, that Jesus wants them to be where He is, this idea of eternal life. Why? To see My glory that You have given Me before the foundation or creation of the world. He's speaking here, not of His earthly glory, but of His eternal glory. And so, disciples... Long to see Jesus, even as Jesus longs for his disciples to see them, see him, rather. There's this mutual anticipation. We have family in from out of town, and we talked about what a great blessing it is that we want them to be here and that they want to be here. That it's not like, oh no. Dan and Janine are coming. How long is that trip going to be? But there's an excitement. There's a, I'm glad they're coming. And that's what we get here. Disciples long to see Jesus. And Jesus is glad to see them. He wants them to be in his presence. And when we see him in that glory, John says in his first letter, chapter 3, beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And there is that sense with I think is a better understanding of 1 Corinthians 13, we still see through the mirror darkly. We don't know yet as we're intended to know. The glory that we gaze upon, Jesus' glory that we gaze upon is like His earthly glory still. We cannot behold His eternal glory, but when we do, John says, we will become like Him. The image of God will be finally fully restored within us so that we will be like Jesus. He's going to share even that glory with His people. So we got glory days, brothers and sisters. we got glory days now, and we got glory days that are coming. We see here that Jesus is wrapping things up in His prayer and reminding them that He was loved by the Father before the foundation of the world. He's alluding to what we see in John 1.1. But to sustain us until, from point A to point B, okay, from the present until when we see Jesus face to face, we see, first off, that Jesus makes the righteous Father known to his disciples. Jesus breaks out another title in this prayer. Earlier he had said, Holy Father. Now he says, Righteous Father, which in a sense ought to scare his disciples, Because if their Father is righteous, what is He going to do with their unrighteousness? And then it points us back to the earthly glory of Jesus through His cross, where He removes our unrighteousness and gives us His righteousness, revealing Himself to be gracious, merciful, forgiving. And so Jesus says here, not only that He made the Father's name known, but He still makes the Father's name known. And so there's this ongoing, not new revelation, but new illumination by Word and Spirit. We come to a greater understanding of who the Father is because of Jesus' work. And so we learn of His righteousness, but we also learn of His mercy, His love, His graciousness, which covers our sin. Secondly, to sustain us, we see, I believe, that the love with which you loved me, he says, may be in them. We are loved people in Jesus Christ. And that produces loving people in Jesus Christ. So this kind of loops back to the first two points. Okay. And so it is Christ dwelling in us, okay, who brings us the fullness of God, and part of what he brings in us in the fullness of God is the love of the Father, so that we can know and experience the joy of that love he has for his adopted children, which is similar to the love that he has for His only begotten Son. It's similar to me. I've got my biological child that I love, and I've got my adopted children that I love. And the love I have for those three is the same as the love I have for that one. That's what it is for us. He doesn't say, Jesus, I love more. You guys, I'll tolerate. but because you're in my Son, I love you like my Son. That's why Leon Morris says that we know the love of God because the Son dwells in our hearts. And so Christ dwelling in us enables us not just to know the love of God for ourselves, but enables us and empowers us to love other people. If there's no union with Christ, then there's no self-sacrificial love. And if there's no self-sacrificial love, there's no unity. You see how it all fits together? And how Jesus produces it all? If you you leave here thinking, I've got to do this, do this, do this, you've missed the point. Because it comes because we're united to Jesus, and He is the one who is producing all of this in His people. And if it's missing, then we have to ask that question: of Are we in Jesus? All right. There might be some of us who who, who not only like the song "Glory Days," but also identify a lot with the characters that the boss. Bruce Springsteen paints in that song. Some of us might look fondly upon an aspect of our past, our success. might be athletics. It might be financial. Who knows? Our beauty, our popularity. I've never had to worry about any of this. <laughs> but glory isn't about fastballs. It's not about cheerleader looks. It's not about Donald Trump money. The glory that Jesus shares with us is his earthly glory of cross bearing. And cross bearing furthers our unity. And both love and unity make our witness with the word more effective. But a bigger glory day awaits all those who are in Jesus. When we see him in all of his eternal glory, we become like He is. And so, brothers and sisters, and those who aren't mine yet, what glory are you seeking? What glory will satisfy you? Because if it's anything less than Jesus' earthly and eternal glory, you are too easily satisfied. Let's pray. Father, help us to uh, long for that which is better, more glorious, enduring. Rework our hearts. For even those of us who are, are in fact united to Jesus, we struggle with this. It's not like a we don't struggle with the wrong glory. We can too. So be reordering our hearts, be reordering our desires that we would thirst after that greater glory, and that you would be at work in us uh, to love and to grow in unity because of our union with Jesus. Father, I do long for us to be more effective witnesses, not just so that they know that Jesus has been sent by you that they will delight in it. Find their hope and refuge in it. To the praise of your glorious grace. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.